Welcome to the Pacific Forest Foundation's Talking Timber, where each week you meet the professionals behind the Northwest timber industry. Hi, and welcome. I'm Diane Mettler, Executive Director of the Pacific Logging Congress, and your host of Talking Timber. In this episode of Talking Timber, part one of two, we will be speaking to Ray Hopt, Commissioner of District 5, Siskiyou County, California. He's gonna be talking to us about his career and the Forest Service. In the meantime, I want to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Logging Congress and the Pacific Forest Foundation, who are both doing some amazing educational things, like this podcast. Both organizations are dedicated to sound, technical forest education. We also want to welcome our sponsor, Timber West Magazine, the West's leading forestry magazine. You can subscribe now for free just by going to their website, www.forestnet.com. Okay. Now let's hear from Ray and how he got involved in the industry. Well, how I got into the industry is kind of a, it's a, it's a lifelong story. I, um, <clears throat> I've always been an outdoors kind of guy, um, you know, was active in Boy Scouts. So I learned about forestry uh, in a couple of different ways. I, Earned a couple of merit badges working on Eagle Scout uh, in forestry. Got a little bit interested there. Uh, my family, actually, I'm from Pennsylvania. My family uh, there had a William Penn land grant, and uh, <clears throat> I spent a lot of summers there. So the the ag part of it is in me, as well as the a third of the acreage was in hardwood management, and uh, just followed my uncle around quite a bit when I was young and uh, left an impression on me. I ended up um, in uh, Lompoc, California in high school. And um, of all places, there's not a tree anywhere around there, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I, I pursued, I, I continued to pursue outdoor things, you know, as a backpacker and uh, spent most of my waking hours outside. I just couldn't stand to be in the house. So with that, I uh, went to a junior college in San Maria, California, and then ended up at uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And it's an interesting thing. I was a biological science major uh, for quite some time, and I was intrigued with how the natural world worked and, and how things fit together. I was kind of pursuing an, an ecology kind of a thing. I applied to several colleges, including Humboldt for um, wildlife management, actually, and, and, and biology. And uh, they wanted another year of uh, organic chemistry. And I said, I don't think so. And uh, at the same time, uh, uh, Cal Poly had a natural resource program with a, with a uh, emphasis in forestry that they were about three years into, and uh, they accepted me. And that's how I ended up studying forestry. Um, you know, it's, um, interesting from there too, in that, uh, a lot of doors opened for me to, to get into the industry and that, uh, at that time there was virtually no one being hired by either public land managers or by private industry at the time, because I was at that time in the seventies fighting all of the, uh, veterans who were coming out of the service and oh, yeah. they had gone to school about the same period of time and oh, yeah. they were taking up every, every job available and I, I happened to learn or happened to land a temporary 
a seasonal position while I was in my senior year at Cal Poly in uh, Mount Shasta working for the Forest Service. And it was a student cooperative uh, temporary position. So that's how I ended up actually firmly rooted uh, in that in the industry. Oh, great. So you just kind of move up the ladder through the Forest Service then? Well, you know, then again, it was a struggle too. Yeah. <laughs> I began working as a as a forestry tech, uh, tree marking, um, doing all the the woods labor kind of things, and then I uh, was applying to a newly opened tech register. Uh, I had my degree, but I was applying as a tech. And I was offered one or two jobs. They were temporary appointments, uh, but they were permanent appointments. My first uh, permanent one, and I was working seasonally before at uh, Mount Shasta at the time. But I had two job offers. Uh, one was in Sheldon, Washington, in uh, DD, okay. and uh, Brussels, and running a crew. And um, though I had a had a, kind of a fancy with fire. Uh, in my background and during my career, I knew that probably wasn't what I wanted to pursue professionally. And then I was offered a reforestation timber stand improvement tech job at Mount St. Helens. Oh, nice. After being at Mount St. Helens for a year and a half and during the eruption, wow. <laughs> I ended up, I ended up uh, back in Mount Shasta. And then in about a year, uh, there was an opportunity to apply for a conversion to a professional forester. And I was able to, to compete and do that. So did you, were you there for the eruption or had to leave after? Uh, I was there during the eruption. Uh, in March of that year, when it started uh, kind of clearing its throat, if you will, little minor eruptions, yeah. I started trying to figure out where I was going to go because I knew there wasn't much future there given the history of that mountain. Uh, usually when it comes to life, it's active for about 50 years. Yeah. And I actually came back to Mount Shasta and uh, I was, I left Mount St. Helens two days after the major eruption and uh, the day before I was at Spirit Lake. Wow. Um, so, you know, <laughs> Through God's grace, I'm still on this earth. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, um, I competed that, in 1980. The uh, <clears throat> Forest Service was going through a, a whole bunch of change when Ronald Reagan came into office as president. Um, he reset the entire playing field in the agency and for the next uh, eight years, the agency actually uh, put more money in the treasury than it took uh, out for salary and management. And that was a big part of that back then. Reagan was liquidating old growth uh, at the time and, and largely to pay off the national debt rather than take out more, more loans as we see today. We went into departure as part of that, you know, cutting more than growing uh, for a short period of time. But I, I had an opportunity, um, several opportunities during that time. First was there was um, 20 job openings or actually uh, uh, advanced education openings in the Forest Engineering Institute. Shortly thereafter, uh, I worked in a uh, national program out of the Washington office on the Plumas National Forest, 
in logging engineering. And uh, that was one of the major great times of my career, to tell you the truth. So what does that job do? What are you doing during that time? Well, what they were doing with us was they put us in these uh, positions and, and we were to troubleshoot uh, issues with timber sales uh, for, the, for the agency, starting with the NEPA process all the way through the sale administration. So for seven years, we um, tweaked all of the NEPA things to make them economically feasible, economically productive, and uh, cut out the red tape and fat that was killing uh, the sales and making them deficit at the time. Um, included everything from the original design, all uh, the timber sale contracts, as well as the engineering contracts for the road construction. And then on the back end, when uh, something wasn't working well uh, out in the field during the sale administration piece, we were called in to work with both the logger and with the Forest Service to come up with some actual feasible solutions to whatever they were struggling with in the field. I uh, did a lot of work, um, some engineering work and expert testimony on logging accidents with uh, OSHA at the time. And uh, it was just a, a great time till I got unfunded uh, because of the listing listing of the Sierra Spotted Owl. And then I ended up in Florida, of all places. Wow. <laughs> a different batch of um, down there, so. Well, yeah, I, I jokingly tell people I spent five years managing toilet paper. In the short short run, after five years there, I came back uh, to Northern California in 1998 and finished my career with the Forest Service in 2010. Yeah, well, I mean, just uh, some of the, yeah, actually some of the highlights, but I mean, some of the things that, you know, you look back and go, wow, a lot of folks might not have ever had a chance to do that, either in the pulp industry. Yeah. My personality is one that I don't care what I do in five years I'm bored yeah. and uh, and uh, I need change and constant challenge. And that's what I found uh, working with the Forest Service in those days. It got pretty hectic toward the end when I retired, but early on um, we were doing innovative, brilliant things actually. And I worked with some giants in the industry uh, that, that helped out too. We, um, in seven years on the PlumasNet pilot program, we took a program that was failing uh, to one that was very uh, very uh, lucrative and economic. Um, I was there at the beginning of the Quincy Library Group legislation okay. uh, where things were largely shut down. The two years, uh, my final two years on the Plumas where I was unfunded, they shoved me around into different things. Uh, one was a long-term piece to reset the timber program there uh, because their NEPA had been failing and they wanted some some length in, in uh, between the planning and the implementation piece uh, did that as well as several oh details as district ranger which at the time I was pretty young and I thought oh my goodness they're actually going to trust me to do this you know <laughs> and I also worked uh, on the uh, type two incident management team too, uh, fighting fire. So did you find out that most of it was um, the skills needed were like sort of people management or, you know, knowing the forest or what? 
would help to be successful? I'm good with people, you know, and, and um, you know, mainly, but I have a lot of technical savvy that I've been blessed with as well. So I, I was often used as a troubleshooter to fix things. And okay. uh, I spent most of my career doing that, actually. Uh, okay. What was interesting, um, I didn't want to go to Florida, but it turned out um, it was pretty good while I was there uh, on the job. Um, I was able to come in behind a, a timber management officer on the forest there that was making some innovative strides. Uh, the forest had recently been um, listed with the red cockaded woodpecker. And uh, we were starting to look at different ways to manage there. When I got there, the, the forest program, and, and I know this is going to sound ridiculous on the West Coast, but trees are small. <laughs> Let's start with that. Yeah. And, 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 there's, <laughs> and they're, um, I mean, a, a big tree there was 18 inches. <laughs> so oh, yeah. that's old growth down there. So um, I came into a program on 640,000 acres that, was harvesting about 2 million board feet a year. And uh, that's a lot of acres, but 2 million feet a year, and they weren't harvesting anything over six inches because of the wow. list, listing of the birds. So everything was small pulpwood material. Um, in the five years I was there, I took that program from two, 2 million board feet to 18 million board feet. And it was done through work with research down there on something uh, that was called uh, regulated uneven aged management, which meant we uh, took the constraints put on the forest by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for the bird and perpetuated the same diameter classes uh, over time by harvesting per acre a target of diameter classes based on trying to approximate the J-shaped curve of an uneven age stand. And that brought, uh, that brought the saw timber piece back um, on that forest. The, um, it was started by the, the man that I came in after. Uh, I completed that and then our district and myself, we got the, the Chiefs Ecosystem Management Award, um, the national award, and that was Chief Jack Ward Thomas at the time. Um, <clears throat> with that, too, I, I was able to uh, work on that for us with the National Prescribed Fire Program, and uh, that was in its infancy, and it's now the premier place uh, to go and learn about prescribed fire. And we were certainly doing that on the forest down there and, and uh, learned a great deal about fire behavior doing that. Hi, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress, as well as Timber West Magazine. This year, the Pacific Forest Foundation raised over $62,000 for their 2021 educational programs, including thousands of dollars that will be awarded in scholarships. If you or someone you know will be attending a college or trade school focused on a forest industry career and would like to apply, just visit www.pacificforestfoundation.org. Okay, back to Ray. 
So I was going to back up a little bit. When you're troubleshooting, is there um, sort of techniques? I mean, it seems like when you're troubleshooting, people are going to be pretty frustrated and upset and you're kind of coming into a problem. Are there sort of techniques you use to work out the problems? Yeah, I, uh, I try and separate um, facts from fiction for one thing. And, uh, you know, I, I find that a lot of problems uh, within the agency at the time are usually because we've always done it that way. Or um, there are certain uh, institutional prejudices about trying new things. Uh, so I just go about a process of separating in my in my mind or on paper the relevant things that we're uh, wrestling with and what we're trying to do versus the things that are just adding noise uh, to the complexity of the issue. Yeah, it just so, yeah, it seems really normal that people always have done it one way. That's a big hurdle to get over. So I'll give you a quick example. Like on the economics, the issue um, on the economics is, uh, you know, typically, um, you know, you'll you'll know exactly what you're trying to do, but by the time we get to the end of, of the uh, NEPA planning process, everybody's had a chance to put their opinion on it, and you end up whittling down a project to the point where it's not economically feasible for anybody you know it meets everybody's uh committee design but doesn't meet the design of industry uh for sure so cutting out those things the superfluous things uh was pretty important in some of the earlier things i did um strategically looking at the u.s fish and wildlife service piece in florida um we have a difficult time getting through the nepa because of the esa restrictions on a diameter class limit of six inches for the wood for the woodpecker, yeah. and really though, what was at stake was uh, what they called relic trees that had a little bit of rot in them, which was easy to retain, and then a continuous recruitment of this, of a diameter class that didn't change over time. So we forced uh, the agency strategically to consult on several alternatives, including the no action which always led to a Jeopardy opinion uh, for the red cocated woodpecker, which then forced them to change their perspective on what needed to be done in the forest. It's, uh, my, my wife always jokingly says to me, you look at things inside out. No, you know? <laughs> no I think that's a really good skill, though. I mean, if you're going to accomplish yeah. something, yeah. people just keep coming out the same direction, same direction. They just don't get anywhere. So. Um. Yeah, and I I always um, you know I'm always looking for the result, and I work backward uh, sometimes to to look at how to get there, um, you know, rather than continually running into a brick wall. I, yeah. I won't I won't say that I haven't run into brick walls because I certainly have throughout my career, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but but that's that's where it is. Yeah, um, you know I I came back here um, with a couple of things under my belt. One. Um, I had a reputation at the time of being able to solve things and work uh, with a multitude of people to get things done. And so they hired me to uh, <clears throat> fix some of the things in the Northwest Forest Plan here locally. I will tell you that turned into a disaster. Um, <laughs> because uh, what I didn't realize at the time was I was dealing with ideologues and not people that wanted to solve problems. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, I worked with the Northwest Forest Plan Forest Health Subcommittee uh, for you know, almost four years on a project 
when I got here. Uh, at the end, uh, I was about the only one standing left in the committee when we signed the NEPA document. And as soon as the ink dried, uh, I was litigated oh, man. Um, on this collaborative project. And it turns out, you know, that um, the project was something that was largely a fuels kind of management uh, project in an area that was very fire prone, but also had a lot of owls in it. Um, ended up uh, taking the project down and then uh, in 2015, the entire watershed burned out. And uh, it's, too, it's too bad because the project never got implemented. Um, on, a, on a better note, I did uh, was nominated again for the Chief's Award for Large Fire and Landscape Fire Behavior Modification. Okay. Um, did a 35,000-acre uh, project in a late successional reserve on the Salmon River District. And we, uh, I worked for a couple of years with a fire behavior team doing modeling and rather than do the old way of doing things, which is you design a project and see how fire reacts to it. I want to know how fire would react without the project first on the things I couldn't change about the landscape, which were the topography, the fuels arrangements, the aspect, the slope and uh, the elevations. And then design the project to moderate that fire behavior uh, by starting or, you know, fake fires in this model in different places on the terrain to see where they would go and how it would expand and then put in treatments uh, in those areas that would abate that. How, how do you start a fake fire? Well, it's a, it's a, commu a computer model. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And it, 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 it was sort of randomly generated, but uh, what, we, what we did is we took, um, we had fire data uh, fire starts and probability of starts uh, on that landscape since 1935. And okay. so we used a random number um, thing to generate a fire in a particular place, on, place based on its probability of actually occurring naturally. Okay. And, and then use that uh, fire behavior work that we had. Uh, I mean, we'd, we'd, we'd run one scenario on this thing and it would, it would shut the the computers down for 24 hours um, before it would uh, show us exactly what was going on. It was pretty complex, and it was a it was a national team that I worked with. Okay. Um, yeah. So I mean, there were lots of um, lots of other stuff in this region. I I was tasked uh, because I'm the I'm the fix it guy. Yeah. Um, I was I was tasked by the regional forester to. Uh, develop the transition from the, the sale activity level uh, system to the project activity level uh, used today for you know the fire danger piece for for contract. So I don't I don't know if you recall that process and what was going on, but there was a huge liability around the old sale activity level, the hoot owl stuff yeah. that uh, was used, and the service contract piece didn't. Um, fit very well uh, with that. So there was a lot of liability around um, inconsistencies and being litigated for fire starts and that kind of thing. So uh, there was a team that had worked on uh, merging both the service contracts in the Forest Service and the timber sale contracts into one system called PAL, the project activity level. Okay. And um, 
a team had worked on that in Region 5 for about seven years and failed. And Regional Forester approached me and said, I want this done in nine months. And um, so I garnered together a team that that uh, he allowed me to pick. And uh, in six months, I had it on his desk. And uh, wow. uh, from there, I, I worked for seven years on the Region 5 um it's called the line officer team for fire. Okay. Um, during that during that time, uh, I was tagged to do the, uh, the policy and uh, fire behavior review for the Angora fire that burned into Lake Tahoe. Uh, part of that uh, was a learning experience kind of a thing, and um, it actually took me two years to get that report out because it was pretty politically contentious. But um, that was that was some challenging work there too. It does sound challenging. Do you, do you see a lot of similarities between some of the work you're doing now and maybe it should be an effect today or not, or affecting our fires today? Or no, I feel like everything I did has been forgotten by the agency. Oh, I said start and, from scratch uh, again, huh? Yeah, and it's unfortunate. I think that uh, you know, there's been so many retirements of knowledgeable technical people over the the last uh, 10 years anyway, where the agency is pretty struggling actually to try and find its way right now. Um, yeah, I don't want to go into that too much, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I work on that quite a bit still. The um, I got pretty frustrated uh, in 2010 and retired. I, I just uh, was facing more uh, ideological changes, mm -hmm. both with the public and with the agency that uh, didn't fit the way I, I do things uh, or was able to do things because if I can't use my skills, there's not much point uh, in me being there. I, you know, politics yeah. is politics. Yep. We want to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Forest Foundation, the Pacific Logging Congress, as well as Timber West Magazine for making this podcast possible. And most importantly, we want to thank Ray for taking time out to take part in Talking Timber. Okay, until next time, take care. <laughs>